think of it as mental software. Um, I, I'm diagnosing, if you will, I'm analyzing uh, the software, the patterns and programs that are contained within this operating system. Now that's installed very early on in life. So this is where the traditional forms of psychology come into play because they agree with the latest in neurosciences. Uh, the year which the what tradition will call your psychology or your, your personality uh, and neuroscience will call your n neural patterns, uh, they both agree at the year at which this is wired in or baked in. Welcome everyone to the Primary Care Podcast. We explore stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies told by doctors working in primary care. And now, the host of the show, Ross Tannick. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Primary Care Podcast with Ross Tannick. I am Ross Tannick, bringing you this holiday episode. Hey, it's just about New Year's, which is usually a time when many people make resolutions or goals for themselves, so I thought it would be a capital idea to bring in a guest to discuss behavior change. So my guest today is Brian Hemmer, a life coach and business owner of a personal development program called The Inevitable You. So Google The Inevitable You or go to theinevitableyou.com to check out Brian and learn more about the tools to transform one's life through behavior change, habit formation, and accountability. So maybe you'd like some coaching yourself or maybe you're a provider who is interested in helping patients or clients set and accomplish health or wellness goals. Either way, there are resources there for you because... He has all sorts of different membership plans, courses for personal development, and like a kind of train the trainers course for people who are interested in getting more involved in helping others with behavior change. Yeah, so as you might expect, I talked to Brian about many elements of behavior change. He gave a blueprint of how habits and instincts are formed, and he talked about the neural linguistic programming that we all experience to shape our lives. And he gave us some tools to work with patients to help them initiate behavior change in a medical context. He discusses how language shapes our lives and our thoughts and our behavior and how we can use it to our advantage to set ourselves and the people in our life lives up for success. So this was a really fun and interactive episode because we actually did some role playing where I actually played the part of the patient who is going to a life coach to help with some sort of behavior change. Um, Brian's also not shy about coming up with some great basic examples to help explain some of his higher concepts. All right, if you are interested in hearing more about his work or life coaching in general, or behavior change, he is happy to have you reach out to him by email at brian 
at theinevitableu.com. That's Brian with a Y at theinevitableu.com. Or you can visit his website, theinevitableu.com. Or I believe he has a podcast himself that is available on Spotify, which actually has um, some nice quick hits, kind of smaller, shorter episodes to bring you into uh, some of the concepts that we're talking about today. Okay, so the holiday season is upon us, and I hope you have happy holidays, everyone. I hope you enjoy my chat with my old college buddy, college roommate, and behavior change expert, Brian Hemmer. got started um, I guess it probably started in high school um, it's when I first discovered psychology when I first found my interest in it um, then went to DU where we actually met yep. so you probably saw some of my uh, struggles early on with I actually went to school for engineering so freshman year terrible experience well I mean besides meeting you it was a terrible experience <laughs> but um, just didn't like engineering like I you know I was good at it. I was, you know, I could do math, I could do all those things, but just wasn't fulfilling enough. Um, There's something missing. And so went probably about a year uh, undecided with my major um, and started taking some psychology courses. I remember cognitive neuroscience, which I, I think we had that class together, right? Mr. Maybe. Uh, I can't remember his name. It's one of our favorite professors. I'll have to think of it. Oh, but, wow. Um, We're going to have to. It was, it was a cognitive neuroscience class. And I just remember being um, intrigued again, fascinated by the human mind, um, and found something I, that I actually enjoyed that I wanted to study more and just had, had always been, you know, fascinated by the human mind and the, the complexities and, you know, different from like science or, uh, math where, you know, you could arrive at a definite answer. A lot of times with people, you know, it's a little bit more messy. You don't always, get to a a definite answer. Um, and so I love that challenge. Um, it can be frustrating, but it's also uh, very rewarding. Um, so that's, I guess where my, my journey into this started. Um, then when I graduated DU, uh, went about a year, uh, trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my degree, uh, knew what I didn't want. I knew I didn't really want to go into, um, you know, even more schooling. I didn't want to go into treating really severe mental illness. Um, I didn't want to really go for my master in social work. I knew how challenging that field was. Um, So I was just kind of lost for a little bit and ended up uh, getting in touch with a very good friend of mine uh, who ended up being my mentor is actually someone I I knew my whole life uh, by the name of Bill Sumner. Um, And he was doing some really interesting things, actually the very first experience I had uh, with him was a fire walk. So just as it sounds, literally walking across 1200 degree coals. Yeah, that's Um, wild. Yeah. And I, it was the first time I'd ever experienced something like that. I mean, I was, again, instantly intrigued, like something is different here. Something's going on that, you know, I need to understand because I saw the change and the experience that people were having in just such a short amount of time, you know, having these amazing breakthroughs, because really it's just a metaphor for, you know, doing seemingly impossible things. Right. And so, sure. Um, it's a great exercise for people that, you know, maybe are dealing with, um, a challenge, whether it's 
you know, uh, anxiety or fear of taking an action or whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, but uh, using that as a symbol for, for a breakthrough. And so, um, yeah. Can I stop you there and yeah, just say, yeah. what, what were you seeing? Can you kind of paint that picture a little bit of uh, that time or that event that, uh, that day uh, where you were doing this first firewalk with uh, Bill Sumner and yeah, uh, you, you said you saw other people make a transformation. Yeah. So, uh, well, the first one was over 10 years ago now. So in that one, I was trying to go, I was going through my own stuff at the time. So I'm still trying to figure out what the heck is going on here right. and, and also going through my own experience. But I know personally, it's just such an awesome thing to like actually walk across fire. You're like, what the heck? This shouldn't be possible. Um, you know, Mythbusters actually the show mm-hmm. did a, a, an episode on it where they tried to bust it, right? They, they, tried to prove it with science and, and couldn't do it. They couldn't explain why this was possible. Actually, the, the redheaded guy in the show yeah. attempted it without any of the training that we do in the seminar uh-huh. and severely burned his feet. And then the volunteers that they had on the show that actually got the training, which uh-huh. there's only three things you need to do, um, they, they were fine. And so they ended up calling it a myth because they, they couldn't prove it. So Interesting. There's something going on. There's this power of the mind, right? And when people really experience that in a visceral way i mean people are shouting they're cheering some people are in tears they're you know just in tears of joy and it's almost like a a, some of them just have this release and they really feel how powerful they are that they can put their mind to something like walking across fire so and the same it was the same experience for me it was just wow this is there's something more here than i that i haven't gotten that i haven't really known about through any formal education that there's this power of the mind, mind over matter thing that, you know, is probably more in the esoteric realm that we, we don't have a lot of science around that we haven't really been able to understand, but you can truly experience it. So, yeah, well, that's really interesting because you talked about, um, you know, science and math giving more definite answers and wanting to kind of be in more of a cloudy, messy space or eventually getting to there. I don't know if that's exactly what you wanted, but it ends up that working with people is a cloudier, messier space with not oftentimes definitive answers. Yes. And, you know, one thing that kind of brought up for me was that you were attracted to this, wow, uh, something is going on here and I don't know how to explain it. Don't know what exactly it is or what the the mm-hmm. elements of it are mm-hmm. that make this possible. And, you know, likewise on Mythbusters, they couldn't figure it out either. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the, the process of science as well as trying to sure. make an observation and then test some things to figure it out and, Absolutely. and, and try that out. So there's a, there's an element of science to the uh, humanistic um, endeavor for sure. that for is sure. working with people and, and behavior. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is, uh, you know, this realm. And when I say psychology, I mean, you, you think about it, it is fairly new when you think about the fact that what Freud was, you know, had his reign in what the late, late, uh, 80, 1800s, early 1900s, yeah. um, you know, some of the forefathers, William James, didn't really start until the late 19th century. And so we're only 150 or so years into a fairly new field. And it's gro- it's growing even more rapidly. 
now that we have technology, we have science, we're able to look at, you know, brain mapping and how the brain and the mind actually works. And so that's an exciting place to be. Um, and, and yeah, it's, you know, testing things that, uh, you know, you have a theory, you have a hypothesis about something, you want an outcome for somebody and it really is a lot of trial and error. Um, especially when, because people are so different and that's what also makes it very fun is that it's not a one size fit all kind of thing. Um, which I think a lot of times you could probably find in, in medicine, right? You have a prescription for something, you have, uh, you know, diet and exercise that works for pretty much, you know, a majority of people, but yeah, I'm, well, I agree, but I also, you know, kind of want to push back on that, that there's yeah. a lot of trial and error in medicine. In fact, sure. I, I've in my, you know, I'm early in my medical career being a fourth year medical student. And so I got a lot to learn and a lot to see. But so far, I've been pretty surprised at, you know, how much trial and error there is and how much you start with, well, I think this will work. Okay, it didn't work. What's the next right. thing? Right. Um, and so, you know, that's a process that's common to, like I said, science and medicine mm -hmm. and, um, you know, psychology as well. Um, you mentioned the kind of the, uh, the newness of just the whole field of behaviorism. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if that's actually the, the field that you consider yourself in or psychology, just modern yeah. psychology. Um, but I guess yeah. I wanted to say that, yeah. you know, on the other, I, I agree with that, but then I also kind of believe that, you know, a lot of ancient philosophers were talking a lot about some of the main sure. tenets of sure. the field of psychology. And, you know, we called it philosophy back then. Or, yeah, you know, and a lot of that's starting yeah. to even come back, you know. Right. Um, yeah, and so I kind of want to talk yeah. about the kind of the, the tenets of life coaching, behavior change, psychology, and and how you employ those yeah. in in your work. Um, and I want to start with kind of where you think those uh, those tenets are, and and how, maybe how it relates to um, the the history of the field. Yeah. Um, so. When we're talking about uh, life coaching, and that's you know, the title that I guess mo most people would use or that I use when describing what I do, um, even though I'm not the biggest fan of it because it doesn't doesn't fully encapsulate, I guess, or it doesn't accurately describe mm -hmm. um, what it is, and it's such a vague term, um, and the and the field itself, I mean, there's just so many different coaches now. There's so many gurus out there. There's so many authors. There's so many different theories and systems and toolboxes. And, uh, so it's, I view it as kind of like the wild, wild west. It's like, you yeah. know, um, people are kind of trying out their own things. And, um, again, because people are so unique and different that some, you know, some toolboxes may work for a group of people, whereas another one may work better for another group of people. Right. And so the, for a basic tenet of life coaching, um, I think it definitely varies from coach to coach, but I think generally speaking, um, you know, it's a focus on the client. It's really, it's a focus on what their outcomes are, whether it's overcoming some challenge in life or uh, attaining a goal. So, you know, uh, I have a lot of clients that come that they, want out of some kind of pain, whether it's a relationship, whether it's their health, whether it's a business issue. Um, and then another segment, which, and again, it's, there's a, 
a mixture of both of these, but 10% come to me with very clear vision in mind. They want something, they want an outcome. They're moving towards a vision that they want to create um, versus trying to, to fix some kind of pain. Right? Mm-hmm. And so sure. um, it, it's always focused on the outcomes and how can I best help and empower this person to attain their goals. So I think that generally speaking, first and foremost, is, is probably the, when you think about life coaching, I mean, that's, that's what we're here to do. So yeah, that's um, simple. Helping yeah. people attain their goals. Yeah. You know, I think maybe a lot of, uh, different professionals would say the same, you know, maybe a dentist would say, I'm just trying to help people, you know, uh, achieve their goals with regard to their dental health or their teeth or, right. uh, you know, that sort of thing. And likewise, a physician, uh, could say the same thing, but, uh, in you help people in a different way. So, um, how do you go about actually helping your clients? Uh, is that what you yeah. call them, clients? Yeah, yeah, yeah clients. Uh, and so, you know, my, I guess, principles or uh, main focus is I really focus, uh, I, I really um, have a, a focus on the thought patterns. So, uh, again, back to psychology, when you think about the fact that, and I'll give you a metaphor that we commonly use, that we have this three pound bag of fat cells and water and microamperages of electricity called your brain. Um, think of this as like a hard drive for a computer. Now on every computer is loaded an interface, right? How you can interact with that, that hard drive, that set, that, that three pound bag, that, that tool that you have Mm -hmm. called software. Um, and so if you think of the mind and, and, this is one of the, I guess, more recent developments in psychology that when computers were first being developed and software was being created, they modeled it off of human logic. So if then statements, right? Series of uh, ones and zeros, right? It's a very uh, sophisticated, complex set of code Mm -hmm. and instructions that our mind behaves very similarly. So if you want to think of it as mental software, I'm diagnosing, if you will, I'm analyzing, uh, the software, the patterns and programs Mm -hmm. that are contained within this operating system. Now that's installed very early on in life. So this is where, you know, the traditional routes, uh, the traditional forms of psychology come into play because they agree with the latest in neurosciences, uh, the year which the, what traditional will call your psychology mm-hmm. or your, your personality yep. uh, and neuroscience will call your n- neural patterns. Uh, they both agree at the year at which this is wired in or baked in. Do you, cause you, you were a psychology student. You probably know about what age that is, right? You're asking with the year of life, the yeah, age. Yeah. About what age is your personality kind of baked in or your, your neural patterns kind of wired and fixed in? Oh, wow. What a good question. Uh, I feel like I'm very on the spot here. Um, <laughs> probably, you know, in the first couple of years, I'll say three. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty close. It's around the age of five. So give or take a year or two. Okay. Um, but yeah, those first few formative years are very crucial. You could even argue by age three, majority of it's already baked in, which is kind of mind blowing if you think about it. I mean, you can't you probably can't even remember when you were three year old, right. three years old. We don't really have memories. very few people can remember anything from that time yeah. or before. Yeah, and actually, it really begins in the womb. 
um, which is another trippy thing to think about. But mm-hmm. yeah, that who you are, how you think, how you operate, your belief systems, how you view yourself, view the world, it's pretty much wired in at, at that early stage in life and then modified by life experiences. So, you know, um, let's say I grew up in a safe household, believing the world is a safe place. People are good. People are kind, right? Okay. Uh, now later on, uh, you know, let's say I'm 18 years old, I'm walking down a bad part of town, down Colfax here in Denver and, mm-hmm. uh, it's 3am and I'm walking down an alley and I get mugged. Yeah. Now that line of code or that belief gets modified a little bit. Well, the world is a safe place except for when I'm, you know, in a bad part of town, it's 3am and I'm, you know, by myself for instance. Sure. Yeah. So this software it's constantly evolving but that that base package we'll call it base operating system is is still there okay um now when you think about what clients come to me for you know they're looking to overcome a challenge they're looking to accomplish a goal well what's what's in their way right what why can't they make it happen generally speaking in our approach is it's contained within the software set somewhere. There's some program running as to why there's a, there's a cause there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, we can go deeper into that, but that's kind of the 30,000 foot uh, okay. flyover yeah. is to, to at least our approach. Yeah. So. Well, I, I would like to go deeper, but that, that is a good start. Um, because it sounds like, and and you're speaking like a, a real uh, you know engineering student here. Yes, <laughs> I'm talking about all the the code and the the programming and the software. You can see my software. How I was <laughs> exactly exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, one thing that uh, that made me think of is you're just essentially just talking about early childhood experiences, and you know, going, you mentioned all the way into the prenatal environment in the in the womb. And for the generally don't go that far, but yeah, you know, at least to data points within someone's life that they can at least touch on whether it's, you know, I was the only child of, you know, two parents, my, or my parents were divorced or I was, you know, the youngest of eight or, you, you know, you have these data points in life, but what the software does with any type of data point is it's going to draw some kind of conclusion or it's going to create a meaning around that data point. So if you think of like an Excel spreadsheet, Mm -hmm. if you put different equations within the spreadsheet, you input different data or or you have the same data, you change the equations, it's going to output a different result. Sure, absolutely. So if you're wanting to create different meanings around a data point, so let's say, um, and and generally you'll find that the really significant data points um, could be a very traumatic thing that happened. It could be a parent's divorce. It could be, you know, and let's just talk like in a medical metaphor. Yeah. You break your leg. Okay. Right. Um, You break your leg. You have to do rehab. Let's say, and this is a common tool we'll use. I'll I'll do the quick version of it, but I'm skiing down Vail Mountain. Yeah. And uh, I hit a tree and I break my leg and they... They rush me down the emergency room, bones popping out of the thigh. Nurses are screaming, oh, my God, this is one of the worst we've ever seen. Doctor comes in. He's like, good news. I, I'm uh, I'm one of the best. I, I've seen this uh, type of injury before. Uh, we, we can fix this. Now, challenging news is with this kind of injury, 90% of my patients end up limping. 
Now, what do we know about this doctor's patients? Well, you gave them a, a little cue there to, that uh, that they're uh, probably primed to believe that they're going to end up limping, or at least they're most likely in the majority. Yeah, and, and you're jumping ahead a little bit in the tool, which is fine. But we know that 90% of them limp, right? So parallel universe, let's say same same mountain, same tree, yep. same leg break, bones popping on the thigh, nurse is screaming, yep. doctor comes in says, good news, I'm a badass, I can fix this, I'm one of the best. Yep. Now, it's going to require rehab. This is very important. You have to do the rehab, do the full course. But 90% of my patients with this kind of injury, when they do the rehab, end up fine. What do we know about this doctor's patients? The exact opposite, 90% end up fine. Exactly. Okay. So there's a few important points, one you've already touched on. When a client walks into my office and I notice they have a limp, it could be a mental limp, an emotional limp, a, a physical limp. Mm -hmm. I ask them, what happened? What do you think they tell me? Broke my leg. Yeah, they go into the story. Well, yeah. I was skiing down Van Mountain one time, and it was, the nurses were screaming, and the bone was popping out of the thigh, that, and the doctor told me. So first they tell me the story. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, you know, they someone they love or trust or an authority figure told them right. something. So there's the power of labeling in psychology. That is very very crucial to understand when you label something we generally act in accordance with that label and there's numerous studies that have been done on this mm -hmm. it's just a phenomenon it's a it's a psychological phenomenon that happens so when you think i broke my leg i'm going to limp the doctor said i was going to limp or someone told me you know we act in accordance with that now this is a metaphor but it's very real and i get there's exceptions to this because there's 10% that said, you know, F you, I'm not going to limp. I'm, I'm going to figure this out, right? Sure. Or And there's 10% on the other side that, you know, f did the rehab, did everything they could, and, and ended up with a limp. So, yeah. But when you're trying to understand human psychology or what holds people back, you know, it's generally speaking going to be tied to a meaning and a story okay. that runs around a data point. Is that making sense? Yeah, I yeah. like it a lot. Okay. Um, okay. Can we can we talk about it more with yeah. uh, like some of the actual like clients that you might have? You, yeah. Obviously, you can uh, you know generalize as much as you want, or you know make a composite. But mm -hmm. uh, so what what does it look like when somebody comes to you either with a goal or with no particular goal? You can kind of choose which direction you want to go from here. And what what do you do with them? How does that work? How does working with somebody actually look like yeah so very first thing that happens when they come in they're, they're gonna do um and this is part of our standard process uh, for all clients coming in it's an exercise called the model of the world um and essentially it's just it's a questionnaire it's an intake questionnaire that has very straightforward questions um but they're open-ended things like what are your outcomes that's a very cr first question why are you here what do you want is it pain you want to stop? Vision you want to implement? What is it? Second, uh, you're going to have a section for biography. You're going to have things like what are your personal uh, empowering and disempowering beliefs? Meaning, you know, what what do you believe about you that you think is empowering versus disempowering? Mm -hmm. is, it, so, is it phrased in like an open-ended question like that? Or is it guided yeah, a little bit more? It, it's, I mean, it's, 
it is very open-ended. I don't guide them at all, really, unless they have a question while they're going through. Like, hey, I'm having a really tough time. What do you mean by this? Mm-hmm. But um, the question is just list your top five personal empowering beliefs. Okay. List your top five one-year goals. Okay. So, again, you know, straightforward but open-ended, but a lot of times questions that people haven't either spent a lot of time thinking about and certainly haven't written these things down. Right. They know them. They maybe think about them, ruminate on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually collapsing them onto a piece of paper is is key, really, because we have, and this is one of our other basic tenets, is we have a very heavy focus on language. Language being a tool that we use to both understand and process what's going on in the mind but also use it as a tool for reprogramming. So. Oh, I, I was just going to jump yeah, in because yeah. that, uh, you know, it reminded me that you've been working in neuro linguistic programming. Is that, is that the right That's term? That's one of the toolboxes. Yeah. NLP. Okay. So NLP neuro linguistic programming is a tool that is used. It's not a kind of a separate, um, field. It, it, it is a, so this is one of the things where I, I mentioned earlier, the wild, wild west. Yeah. It, it is, it, you can think of it as like an open source platform. It's not, um, trademarked. It, it, nobody owns it. Literally you could say, and like today I'm an NLP practitioner, open up shop. And, and now there's mm-hmm. certification programs out there, but you don't need them. Mm-hmm. Same um, goes for life coaching. Yeah, in in the state of Colorado, yeah. Um, It varies from state to state. I couldn't tell you which uh, states off the top of my head require you to have like a certification. But yeah, uh, pretty much anyone can say, hey, I'm open for business. I'm ready to coach you. And you can start a business to open up an LLC. Um, Now, where that is, so it's, it's, again, not as standardized is that the word I'm looking for? Um, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's not like medicine where, you know, uh, you have to go f- to a lot of school right. for before you can, you know, treat a patient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's not very regulated. That's the word, that's the word I'm looking for. Okay. So, yeah. um, But you know who's good and who isn't. So, you know, you, you know when you're not getting a good service. So that's why it is important that... Maybe you do some certification programs and really understand what you're doing. Because with any tool, like a hammer, you can nail a, a nail. You can also kill somebody sure. with it. So you can do some pretty big harm to people if you don't, if you're, if you're not careful. You don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because again, people are, um, and I don't even, I don't want to use the word messy, but. Um, there's emotions involved. This is people's lives we're talking about. Like, For sure. Um, you're changing people's lives. Yeah. And so no matter what you do with them, you're changing people's lives. Yes. So yeah. it's, it's very important to, you know, really understand and, and, and have a framework, have a, a you know, I, I like to say I s- stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I'm, u- I'm incorporating a lot of different tools mm-hmm. from traditional, from new age, from, new science, latest in neuroscience. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm incorporating what I think is the best of the best out there. Yeah. And NLP being one of them, which is fairly new. And if you Wikipedia, it, um, it's interesting. You'll find that they, they call it a pseudoscience that they absolutely excoriate it because 
I, honestly, there's not been a lot of research done on it. Now, I've personally experienced it. I know the value of it. I've seen mm-hmm. it with other people. I've been doing. I've been using it for ten years, so I still see a lot of value in it. But back to language, because yep. we're we went down a little tangent there. But yeah, I NL, was, NL, I was hoping we'd get back there. Yeah, yeah NLP, uh, neuro linguistic programming. So yep. neural having to do with the brain, the mind, neural patterns, linguistics, communication. Mostly communication with yourself, right? Okay. And then programming, just as it sounds, you're using language to program the mind. Okay. And so I you like can it. see how that software that I talked about earlier, the operating system, was programmed by looking at language. Sure. So the language yeah. is going to reveal the software that's running. Uh, and so, and the key word here again, I, I want to stress the importance of language because that's that's really the crux of everything that that we do. It's really the only way. I mean, that's how I can interact with you, right? Sure. It's the only way that I can explain something and and understand what you're going through. So it's really our only tool when you really break it down. Okay. Um, so being very conscious with it. Yeah. So right off the bat, yeah. your description to me sounds a lot like from what I know of cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. Um, how is that different? Uh, you know, how, how are the two different? And, and um, do you use CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy at all? Or is that not even something that you can use because you're not a therapist? I'm, I'm actually pretty ignorant to, to that point. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't call myself a CBT therapist. Mm-hmm. For instance, because right. I I don't have that certification or degree, I guess. Right. Um, now, do I use it? Yes, but <laughs> it's a right. form of it. So a lot of these things kind of blend together. So when you think of cognitive behavioral, it's really a mix of behaviorism, mm-hmm. which you, you want to think of like our best example is Pavlov. Right? Okay. Pavlov's sure. dog, right? We we respond to stimuli. We respond to rewards and punishments yeah right? so there's a lot of that certainly contained in the system and then cognitive right how we think again how we operate up here in the mind mm-hmm. and back to the language again to understand cognitively what's happening and so there's there's a therapeutic aspect of of what i do um and it is also fundamentally different because i would say and I, I, I'm not an expert in CBT, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to really speak to this and at least a true CBT, uh, practitioner or therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I do, I know it's, when you think of coaching, it's very directed. It's not as therapeutic. And a lot of people have this image in their minds of therapy as like the old, again, Freudian kind of approach where lay down on the couch. Okay. Tell me about your childhood. And it's mm-hmm. really diving into the unconscious and mm-hmm. it's more reflective. And that sounds there, more like what we would call psychoanalysis yes. right now. You know, yeah. there's different forms of therapy sure. and that that's, I guess, one of them. Yes. And I think CBT, uh, if, the way I understand it, it, it is more directed as well. It's not as, it's not psychoanalysis as much. Um, it's retraining the brain essentially. So it's, it's very similar to what we do. Um, Right. So in in my mind, psychoanalysis is, Hey, what happened? Let's explore what happened. Yes. Uh, and then CBT or what you're telling me right now about neuro linguistic programming was tough to say for me. Apparently (laughs) 
um, is uh, more about like, what's the thought you're having right now? And let's change that thought now. And we're going to use language and cognition uh, and behavior to yeah. change all those thoughts, uh, you know, yes. as needed. Yes. So that's it in a nutshell. So I can give you an example. Yeah, give that. me an example. Of I NLP. Say, I was going to say, because again, there's some psychoanalysis elements certainly sure. involved because we're looking at old operating system, or at least what your current operating system is what I'm going to call old you because it was installed at the year you were five years old. Yeah. Now, so we're, we're analyzing, but using NLP in a more directed fashion, how do we actually be more proactive about programming the mind? So let me give you a metaphor. When a child goes to pour their first glass of milk, okay. right? They're, maybe they're three years old, right? Mm -hmm. Before that, you know, software's fully baked in. What do parents, what, what's the form of the command do you think that most parents will use or tell the child when they go to pour the glass of milk? What form of the command? What, like, what's the sentence they'll use? I don't know. Be careful. Uh, use two hands. Um, uh, you actually gave me the, yeah. the more effective, successful form of the <laughs> command. So congratulations. Uh, don't spill. Yeah. And, oh, okay. And so yeah, most people, so, and I'm going to give you kind of a rule. It's 90% um, of people operate one way it's like the Pareto principle 80 20 but it's more like 90 10 in human psychology okay that's what we find so most people are really focused on avoiding outcomes that they don't want right avoiding pain right and they're also not to say that they're not motivated by pursuing pleasure that's the 10 percent. but there's tipping points at what you know are you 49 percent towards uh, something that you want 51 percent moving away from what you don't want. Right. So, right. but predominantly speaking, 90% are focused on avoiding pain. So yeah, the form of the command is a negative. It's don't yes, spill. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't. So what you have to do to cognitively process that command, right? You have to imagine ways to spill milk okay, yeah. to avoid doing it. Sure. You ever hear like the saying, the brain doesn't hear not or, or don't, it just hears spill. Interesting. Milk. Yeah, no, I've never actually, I don't feel like I've heard that phrase, but I think about that sometimes. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, I think about it sometimes when I'll like uh, order uh, a food item. Uh -huh. I'll say, you know, like no mayo, and then it comes with extra mayo. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. I think they just heard mayo. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. It happens to me in the Chipotle line. Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, don't spill. You're imagining ways to spill milk to avoid doing it. So you're like, oh my God, you know, I could slip out of my hands. I can knock the glass over. I can, it can overflow. No, don't do that. That's a bad. And if you're an overachiever, you're not thinking of 50 ways that it can happen. You're thinking of right. 200 plus ways and crazy out of this world, you know, impossible things that will never happen. Like, you know, a meteor can rip through the ceiling right now and rip the picture out of my hands. Now I don't have to worry about meteors. And so it becomes this very tormented kind of psychology where and and this is where you start to see anxiety patterns pop up yeah know? and that makes sense too I, I never really really thought about it like that but the way you're talking about it now is like the overachiever you know we kind of think of the, the the mad genius who's very smart overachiever type uh but is unstable mentally in some way yeah. or has depression and anxiety yeah. that is crippling you know i'm thinking of a beautiful mind or something like that in the movie right um <laughs> 
And, you know, that's a trope, but it's a it's a stereotype or a cliche for a reason. And I can see how just based on that example that you just gave that that makes sense to create those kind of people is yes. don't spill. And now I'm going to think of a lot of ways to spill because I can because I'm smart and I can imagine them. Yeah. And, and that's a very important point right. that you just made, because that is a, a pretty big concept in NLP, especially there, it's something we call a flip. And so typically what people view as a as a negative or a detriment is actually contains their greatest strength. So an example of that is addiction, for instance. Sure. We okay. we typically have negative connotations around addiction, right? We think of drug addicts and we think of alcoholics. We think of gambling, sex addict, right? Mm-hmm. All these things that aren't very good for us. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this. What do you call someone who's addicted to health or running? Call them a, a runner, I a guess. A really healthy yeah. person, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about someone who's addicted to you know money? Very rich. Yes. Right. Now, now that can venture into you can that can become a negative. But again, sure. there's power. There's a powerful piece of addiction psychology that, when applied in a constructive, resourceful way, mm-hmm. those are some of the most resourceful, successful people on the planet. Right. So yeah, there's a there's a flip side to a lot of things. Yeah. So. I'm with you, but and yeah. you, you kind of you got there by all starting with language, and that was kind of the big point you were making a couple minutes ago: is language, language, language. That's how mm-hmm. it all starts, and that's mm-hmm. what's really important to use that as a tool to then, you know, fix what's broken. If if we can use those terms, even though I'm not sure that we want to think about uh, things in terms of broken and fixed, but you know what I'm uh, trying yeah. to say. Yeah. So let's get back to the the language yeah. point there. So. Uh, I don't know. Where so back we can... to don't spill. Okay. Yeah. Let's take, take it up. There. <laughs> I wanted to acknowledge your point there, but yeah. yeah. Now, if you want to give a towards pattern, when I say towards pattern, I mean moving towards an a- the outcome that you want. So we said don't spill is in a, a form of a, a way pattern, moving away from pain, away from what you don't want. Mm-hmm. We're going to flip that command, flip that sentence. Okay. Or, just do the opposite is another way of saying it. What would be the towards pattern way? And and you said it, it was the answer you gave the first time. If, uh, I don't if even it's remember. not don't spill, if it's not don't spill, <laughs> you want to say what? You want to say make it all in the cup or yeah, pour it, carefully. Yeah. Pour pour the milk carefully. Yeah. Get the milk in the cup. Yeah. Now you're thinking, okay, hold with two hands, pour slowly, walk slowly, you know. Yeah. You're, it's a different visualization that's happening, and the mind-body connection, like that's very, it's very important to yeah. understand because it, they're intimately connected. Like you can't have one without the other. So if you're what you're envisioning, your body will essentially replicate or do right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you know, I think that we can really understand that with. You know, this was always uh, something I learned in like sports psychology. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. It just, it's very, uh, it, it makes sense to people. People can visualize it. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll explain what I mean because I'm thinking about something that involves visualization. You know, a sports psychologist will say, you're going up to the free throw line. Don't even think I might miss it or what if I miss it or exactly. imagine that, it, that you see the ball rimming out or anything like that. Exactly. 
a hundred percent, you're just going to imagine that you're making the shot and you can close your eyes and envision it going through the hoop and you're going to tell yourself all the positive things. Don't even tell yourself anything negative about the entire experience. But why, why is that so understandable in that world? But I think most people, or maybe just me, but I think most people (laughs) will have a, a little bit more trouble grasping that on a bigger scale when we're talking about yeah. people's uh you know bigger life decisions and goals and yeah. and uh bigger troubles in life than just making a free throw sure yeah i mean sports is a great metaphor and for all the golfers out there like if you do nothing but just focus on the shot that you want where you want the ball to land you're, you're gonna drastically improve your score but yeah, you're not alone. It is more challenging when it's a a marriage. It's a it's your body. It's your business. You know, these are things that hold more weight, but they're no different. Mm-hmm. It's the same rules. The same rules apply. You know, oh. so um, why I think it's it's challenging is because you know, like I said, they they hold more weight, um, and. Was there a question or? Well, no, I guess I. Yeah, I mean, that you you kind of mentioned it right there. You said they're, they're bigger deals. Your body and your health and your business are a bigger uh-huh. deal than just making a free throw, <laughs> yeah. and they're more complicated yeah. too. You know, there's more the ball emotional... goes in or the ball goes out, and you know, there's things you need to do to make that happen. Uh, I guess you could say the same thing is either the business succeeds or it fails, but there's still a lot you need to do to make that happen. But it's, I think, objectively more things and for over a longer period of time. And I think it's probably that that time scale that always screws us up because we can we can really work with things that are just in the moment or, you know, short periods of time. But when you drag them out over you know, a person's entire lifetime or decades, um, it's harder yeah. to envision all these things happening and having such an impact. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that happens as we get older, we have more to lose. So again, back to the don't spill psychology, you know, when you have a mortgage to pay and you have like college tuitions and, and you have, you know, a, a business, you know, that could succeed or fail. I mean, uh, as we get older, we just, we have more things to lose versus when we're younger, we're willing to take more risks because, you know, it's, we, we don't have as much, we have, we don't have as much to lose, right? Like we're, we're willing to do it. And so what we find is as people get older, you know, they go more into this risk management asset protection kind of phase. And like, it's, it's that don't spill com, uh, program compounded. And so what I was going to say about don't the don't spill metaphor too is now you take that little kid they're you know 20 years later they're walking into a business meeting and if they're what I'm calling your success command right was don't spill and if you extrapolate okay, that was the failure command well that was I'm calling it the I'm, I have air quotes here oh. um, success command okay and you, you extrapolate that into different scenarios, if that was the form of the command that they use and they're walking into an important business meeting, what do you think's likely going on? What are the thoughts happening in their mind? What what are what's the language they're using? Yeah, I mean, the way you're painting this picture, they've been programmed to have those kind of more negative thoughts and think of the worst case scenarios and yeah. think of all the ways in which whatever is about to happen will go wrong. 
Um, yeah, don't and, f this up. Right. Oh, don't say that. That's stupid. Don't look like an idiot. Oh, d- don't piss the boss off. Don't. Right. You know. So again, it, it's it's a very limiting psychological program. Okay. So you. But it's not. And I want to make a point. It's not yeah. that you're bad or stupid or or none of that. It's just consciousness to know that that's not the most upgraded form of the psychology or psychological program that you can be running. Because you can you can say poor carefully, you can turn your don't spills into poor carefully. Right. You're you're eligible for an upgrade. Focus on what you want versus what you you don't want. Now, how this ties to why why is it so hard to change? I think is kind of what you were you were getting at um, for a lot of. Let's us, go there. Right? Yeah. So what what we see is that there's something connected to the change a lot of times that is more painful than where we are. Explain. So I said that don't spill is, a, is in a way pattern. We're focused on avoiding pain, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how the only ways that humans are motivated, avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure. Okay. So if you're in a avoid pain, your decisions are based on more pain versus less pain. Sure. I have a decision to make here. I have a choice to make. There's an action I'm going to take. Is this going to bring me more pain or less pain? Any sane human is going to choose less pain, right? Okay. I can go with that. I mean, who who's going to wake up and say, bring on more pain for me? You know, like... Right. Well, people do. And, you know, sometimes there's a d- delayed gratification element to these things, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, there has to be a reward at the end. And some people won't sure. really, uh, you know, ever engage in that because they don't ever see their, their benefits of the reward or it's, they're just not interested in going through the pain to get there. Bingo. But oftentimes uh, there is a process by which you have to get to the pleasure part. It's not always just instant gratification uh, yes. is that where you were going to take this yes uh, ish it's a okay. it's a great point because the 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 point is that there isn't an equation written for them that what that that new action let's say that they're going to take to create the change mm-hmm. is going to bring them more pleasure down the road so if i let's say you know i've got to exercise Doctor tells me, hey, you better exercise. You better exercise. Or, you know, you're going to have some problems in five years. Yeah. Or uh, you have to change your diet or mm-hmm. or whatever. You have to practice stress relief, you know, things. You should meditate. Well, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you're risking something. You're, you're risking that you're just going to go through pain with no, uh, you know, pleasure as the end result. Is that- yeah. If I say, you know, it's if I run a psychology that says to actually get up and get to the gym and exercise, you know, right now, instead of sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and watching Netflix or, or I have to eat a salad instead of the burger that I really enjoy or yeah, <laughs> right. I have sure. to smoke a cigarette instead of actually, you know, just meditate to get my stress relief. Yeah. Me that goes to immediate gratification. If you don't have the, the equation written that says there's more pleasure in what this action I'm about to take. Mm -hmm. That's, it's going to bring me in. And I love exercise versus 
what what we typically see the we have a joke there's a there's a tool called um the i have a dream speech it was modeled off of martin luther king okay that, this is one of the tools that we've developed yeah you think of the martin luther king speech i have a dream one day sons of former slaves sons of former slave owners break bread at the table of brotherhood i have a dream you watch it i mean you can still watch to this day on youtube it still gives you goosebumps right sure. it's yeah. full of emotion definitely and that's that's the the key you can feel it and the question is do you run an i have a dream for your life do you run an i have a dream for your business your your health your relationship or and and I'll ask like if I'm doing this in a seminar I'm working with a client pretty cool tool right you, you know you ever do a I have a dream for your health mm-hmm. food is food is fuel food is emotion food gets me through the day and I love exercising I feel my body with flexibility and strength I love how my lungs feel when I'm you know taking deep breaths and exhaling and running I let you know you run and I have a dream okay that you can actually feel that that is true it's not just BS yeah. And, and clients are like, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I should, I should do that. And I asked him, you ever done that, done this tool before? No. Well, yeah, you have. Just like all these things, we're doing them. We're yeah. just not conscious of them. And we, uh, we often do it in the flip, the right. reverse. Okay. So what we see is it's not the I have a dream. It's I have a nightmare. I can't do this. It's so hard. I hate exercise. I can't wake up early and get to the gym. It's, I just want to lay in bed. I don't want to eat this piece of broccoli. I just want my donut. This is so hard. I have a nightmare. Right. And and I would venture to bet that a lot of those, you know, I, I don't want this piece of broccoli. I want my donut type things aren't <laughs> happening in out loud in your head in as many words. Yes. It's just the the little neural uh, pattern just fired in the in the way that would kind of create the same language. Yeah. Or 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 the language creates the same pattern in your brain. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of hard for people because they have these patterns of behavior, but they don't necessarily think out loud in their head, hey, this broccoli sucks. I want the donut. And so they, it's hard to, well, yeah, it's hard to kind of, equ- right. right. They're yeah. not aware, aware of it. And so it's hard to kind of equate um, the behavior and the language and the, emotions uh and put that all together in in one package you yes. know and so it's, that's it sounds like that's a great way in which you come in um so i kind of wanted to talk about yeah. how you individualize uh you know treatment yeah. for each person that you're uh, working with you talked about kind of how the initial process is standardized you know yeah. you talked about that uh the model the, of the world the, yeah the model of the world survey mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. right um, is there anything else between that and when you start individualizing your, your uh, strategy for them? Yeah, so the the process and the tools are, are essentially the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Which tools I use, you know, and, and where I begin when I have my first session is where it gets individualized. So because... It's based on the client. It's based on their unique set of circumstances, their unique operating system. That's where it becomes individualized or personalized, right? So, you know, what someone wrestles with or, you know, is challenged by or what their goals are is going to be completely different from somebody else. 
and we also see a lot of similarities. And so, you know, I can pull things from what I've done with other clients into the process with, uh, uh, you know, this client. Um, but it really is largely personalized, at least my approach is. And so it's, it's never <clears throat> machine graded, right? When I go through like a, a model of the world, I, I'm doing that on my own. I'm, I'm marking things. I'm putting my own analysis, uh, language in there, tools to use. I'm creating a customized plan, mm-hmm. a game plan, right? For this client based on what they've given me. And so the standardized, I mean, I, you could probably say it's like 20, 80, maybe 20% standardized, 80% uh, customize for for the client. Does that answer your question? Or yeah, and and uh, I kind of wanted to go into some like some more kind of medical examples, uh-huh. um, if that's uh, something you're up for. Yeah, um, and talking about maybe you know fake patients that want some sort of change in their health outcomes, mm-hmm. or maybe their doctor wants it for them. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so you know, can we talk about how this applies? to the world of medicine and how, how, uh, physicians and life coaches can, you know, be on the same page, work together and and use, uh, the same tools to, to help people in, you know, whatever way they need. Yeah. And I'm interested to even learn because, you know, this world is somewhat foreign to me to like hear your experiences and then see where the two worlds collide and, and what, you know, uh, people in your profession, practitioners like yourself can pull from, uh, you know, my world and vice versa. So, yeah, well, so, you know, the, the classic, uh, behavior change that might, you know, come from uh, a doctor's visit mm-hmm. or behavior change thought or a request or something like that would, you know, I think in the past it was quit smoking uh-huh. and, and, you know, that's again, he's maybe simpler, then what I think the most common one is now, which is diet and exercise. And you talked about uh-huh. that and how that might work. Yeah. Um, so I think pretty much every doctor out there would say stop smoking if the client or if the patient actually said they were smoking, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's advised. So we can, to, we can to start, smoke. Yeah. we can start with that one. Okay, sure. Yeah. Let's um, keep it simple and start with that one. So, you know, Patient comes to you says, "Hey, my doctor told me I need to stop smoking." Uh-huh. I'm kind of feeling like, like I get what he's saying, but I think it would be a very hard thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. How do you take it from there? Yeah, so uh, there's there's a few things. Um, the interesting thing about it is when you when you think about this person said, "Oh, that's this is going to be hard." Well, well, right off the bat. You know, you're already setting your, if that's your language, yeah. you're viewing change as hard. Change isn't hard. It, it change can be very easy and we love change that we love. We hate change that we hate. Okay. Right. right. So interesting. But, yeah. And here's the interesting thing about smoking. We see this 95, probably more percent of women who smoke the second that stick turns, you know, positive on the pregnancy test mm-hmm. they can quit instantly yeah. boom done sm- was change hard for them no it was it was in an instant so change happens instantaneously it does not have to be a process literally i mean this is again in in neuroscience when we look at the brain 
change, you either start something or you stop something. And it, and it happens in milliseconds within the brain. Okay. Right? And so we can, if you change, you can change back. So that's where it can feel like a process. But for someone who wants to stop smoking, you have to change the equations around, again, I said more pain, less pain. So for them to stop smoking is more painful to them. How can you make it more pleasurable for them to, with, for life without cigarettes? Okay, now, well, here, use me as the patient. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, Brian, my doctor told me mm-hmm. I need to quit smoking. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Seems like a pretty hard thing for me to do, although I understand <laughs> what my doctor said and the reasons why. And, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm coming to you. So you're telling me you want to stop smoking? Ooh, you, you already got me. Um, you know, I guess I, I'm coming to you because I'd like some help with it. Well, do you want to stop smoking? Yeah, I eventually do. Okay, perfect. Well, first and foremost, we have to start there. That You have to say daily, not I want to. And here's the other tricky thing about language. When I say I want to, is that am I embodying the person of a non-smoker? When you say you want to, I guess yeah. you're, you're, you're not. Yeah, because uh, it hasn't happened yet. It's right. in the future. I'm not there yet. So someday I might be that person. Yeah, so if yeah. you want to stop, then you, okay, who is that person who's not smoking? I'm stopping today, right now. Today's the day. So you mm-hmm. have to get committed. You have to decide. Mm-hmm. You have to commit first. Yeah, you just and said now, it happens in an instant. Now we yeah. have. Now we integrate. Now you can have slippages like that. I mean, there's a lot of forgiveness built into at least our system that it's not you're an you know, f up if you have a drag. Yeah, you know, but it's consciousness to know because to write the equations, to write the programs that you want to stop smoking. Well, first of all, stop saying I want to. I'm stopping today. That's the very first step. Now, okay. you really want to. Okay, we have to. And so for the client, I may not tell them this, but I'm also looking for leverage. So you can get anyone to change mm-hmm. if you find the right leverage. Tell me about that. You know, you've heard the, we have sayings like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? Sure. You can... You can get anything, any object to move if you find a big enough lever, right? I so, like it. Again, engineering leverage comes from pain and pleasure. It's the only way we're motivated. So ideally, you do that with both. More pleasure than pain, but, you know, apply a little pain into the behavior that we don't want. Mm-hmm. So is this like uh, snap a rubber band on your wrist every time you you think of having a (laughs) cigarette and give yourself a treat every time? That's that's a great tactic. Um, And we want to get deeper into the psychology. And so, yeah, tell me how that would would look. So let's start with, first, I want to start with the pleasure side of it. There's benefits to smoking, right? Sure, yeah, you... uh, Get so the, you're the you smoker. get a little dopamine rush. You yeah. get a maybe a break. You step outside from work. You socialize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, and you tell yourself this story that you like it. It calms you down. Maybe it does. You know. 
uh, gives you something to do and distracts you. All these things I, I would categorize as exactly. you know, in the benefit <clears throat> side. Yeah. So now most people wouldn't acknowledge that, by the way. If, if you're the smoker and I ask you, you know, what do you get from smoking? Oh, nothing. It's terrible. The doctor told me I should quit. I know I got to quit. I want to quit. Uh, I get nothing from it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You get all those things that you just mentioned. And so mm-hmm. how can you get those same benefits without cigarettes? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. Can you get, just go outside and take... Because when you're going... When you go on your smoke break and you take a, a puff... Now it's big breaths of air. Granted, it's filled with toxins. It's shit that's bad for you, but... Mm-hmm. Can you get? Can you take those same breaths without the toxins, and it feels awesome, right? Can you mm-hmm. socialize with people without? Can you chew a piece of gum for the, you know, oral fixation? Can you? How can you replace all of those same benefits? So if you list all the benefits that you get, and really look at it. Mm-hmm. You listed some great ones there, and say, how can I get these same benefits without cigarettes, mm-hmm. specifically, right? What specific actions can I go on a walk, right? Now, here's here's the how you find pain leverage. Yeah. You know, a big one for a lot of people is children. You know, so we said we, I don't know if we actually touched on this, but how software is programmed from our family of um, we, origin, but right. we said by the age of five. So it's going to be who yeah. you spend time with. Could be your parents, adopted parents, you know, uncles, grandmother, whoever. Yeah. Your environment. <clears throat> you're getting programmed by you're receiving instructions, right? Your software is being programmed by your family of origin. If you have kids and they see you and, and you're essentially killing yourself. Mm hmm. Do you want to program your children to smoke? Right, and so you use them as a uh, a lever. Yeah, uh, you, you say, could use kids. You say uh, you know, or you you kind of use that uh, element to say, you know, do you want your kids to be smokers? And then they say, you know, probably not. Mm-hmm. And why not? That sort of thing, or just yeah. or would you just stick on the kids? You know, yeah. yeah. Every time well, you take you, a drag of a are, cigarette, yeah. you're programming your children to smoke. You're giving them cancer. Okay. You're programming yeah, that's pretty them. Powerful. I mean, for for parents out there, you'll really feel that. You should feel that because yeah. it's happening. It's that's this is not some just philosophical thing. Sure. You're programming psychology. You're programming your children. So, yeah, you have responsibility there. And here's another one that's pretty painful as well. You're familiar with cutters. Yeah people who will inflict pain on themselves to feel something, feel pain. And so I might ask the, the smoker, you're not a cutter, are you? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, what are you doing every time you take a drag of a cigarette? What are you, what's happening inside your lungs? Inflicting pain. You're doing damage. violent cellular damage and, you know, more so than people who typically would, you know, just cut their skin, but... You're not a cutter. Well, just remember, every drag. What's happening inside? I mean, so you have to make it visceral. You have to find... And it, and leverage 
it's going to be different for everyone. I mean, not everyone's a parent. Um, it, you might find something in their psychology and their family of origin, something that they care about. Um, you want to connect it to that, but pain and pleasure are key there. Okay. So yeah. That, well, that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, I like the, you know, the, the simple way we can talk about that with, uh, smokers. Um, I think it might be a little bit more complicated when it comes to more complex behaviors like eating patterns, exercise patterns, where these are sometimes things that people need to not just change the behavior, but also learn something about that. You know what I mean? Like some people yeah. don't know how to eat healthfully. They sure. just, so they have to, there's a learning curve. You know, yes. whereas people know how to not smoke, they just don't smoke. You know, um, same thing. There with, is an same education. Thing, yeah. yeah, same thing with exercise. Same thing with all sorts of uh, other behaviors. Um, so, how would uh, how would that uh, be different in something that's more complex, like having the same, you know, a health outcome goal, mm -hmm. or having health be part of the the goal that they're coming to you with? And it's more of a complex behaviors. Let's talk diet and exercise. You know, Brian, yeah. you need to lose weight and uh, I want you to do so by changing your diet and, and exercising. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's any more complicated or complex. Now, there is the education piece of it. Like, yeah, you do actually know, need to know what's healthy to eat and and there's elements that I'll provide clients, but typically I'd even refer them to someone who's an expert in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know enough to certainly help someone. And a lot of it, we think, I mean, uh, hey, don't don't eat something that's high in sugar or high in, I mean, you look at a salad versus a burger, we use that just basic example. So there's common sense choices, but yeah, there is... Uh, certainly an education component. So, but I wouldn't say that the psychology behind it is any more complex or okay, yeah. know, it doesn't, it's not different from like the smoking example, for instance. Um, and so, like I said, all, the rules, all the same rules apply regardless of, you know, what age you are or what thing you're here for, be it relationship goal, be it a health goal, business mm -hmm. goal. So, um, but for diet and exercise specifically, how do we change that behavior? Is that, is that the question? Yeah. Let's kind of, let's kind of maybe play out the same game that we were just doing mm -hmm. with, with that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the last example, I was a, a smoker. Now I'll be someone who's, uh, you know, sedentary lifestyle and, and having poor outcomes from, uh, you know, being overweight. Yeah. So, so, yeah, Brian, yeah. I, I'm coming to you because my doctor told me I need to lose weight. Don't know if it's, you know, something I can really do. Okay, so there's the a, an, another set of, of challenge there. Uh, when you say belief, right, I don't believe it's possible. Mm -hmm. How do we get around that first? Because they, they, they have to believe first. Mm -hmm. Or else it's not, it's not gonna, mm -hmm. I mean, they're not going to take the action. Yeah. So you might start yeah. with, do you even believe it's possible for you to lose and, weight? And I would like, start with the same question. Do you want to be healthy? I'll say yes. Okay. 
So you've have you uh, can you walk around the block? I could probably do that. Okay, that's a start. So we know it's not impossible to do something at least different than you did yesterday, right? Okay. Yeah. So if we're talking in a very you know uh, severe case, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who's just not exercising at all. Sure. How how can we start? Right. So we have to challenge those beliefs, those old beliefs that say it's not possible. Mm-hmm. Now, I, okay, I want to get healthy. What what does health look like for you today? What's the greatest version of health? Uh, I'd say losing 50 pounds. Okay. Losing 50 pounds. Now, you remember I don't spill the milk tool? I do. When we say lose 50 pounds, what are you focused on? I'm focusing on losing. I'm focusing on uh, being a, you know, different person than I am right now. Or you know, I'm trying to get away from the person I am now is really instead of going <clears throat> towards the thing that I want to be. Yeah, and you're thinking about that extra 50 pounds that you don't want, that you hate, that, you know, is dragging you down, that is... It's just weight. It feels heavy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus. So how would you yeah, reframe that for somebody? So what's the other, what's another way to say lose 50 pounds? Let's say you're 250 pounds. Okay. Well, that's some easy math. Uh, you know, you could say I, I, I want to be way or weigh 200 pounds. Yeah. Or I want to have some other more positive goal rather than the negative goal. Yeah. I'm focusing yeah. on. My, I'm I'm the guy, the woman at 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. I can see that body. I can I can I know it's there. I know it's. I've already challenged my old beliefs on it's possible or not. So I'm I'm focused on what I want. Yeah. Now, what are the actions? Do you think that are required? What What did the doctor tell you? What did your nutritionist? What did your you know personal trainer tell you? Just needs to be done to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying what does the yeah. doctor and nutritionist yeah. tell me that I need to do? Let's start with yeah. diet. Uh, well, you know, the the doctor just said diet and exercise. Okay. Because I, you know, I'm, I'm making that the, the real uh, kind of a real scenario because I think that a lot of times that is the the suggestion. Exercise more, the prescription. eat better. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think that, you know, I think that lifestyle um, medicine and lifestyle counseling is just not done in in the exam room and the doctor-patient relationship because, one, doctors aren't really trained on, one, these things, you mm-hmm. know, that we're talking about now. Two, actually what healthy diet sure. and, and, and healthy exercise or adequate exercise looks like. Yeah. Um, and you know what the recommendations are. There are some out there, but it's not really part of medical school to even hmm. know that, that's, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so that's where I might step in as the coach and say, I'll just give them basics or I'll refer them to an actual mm-hmm. nutritionist or a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sorry, mm-hmm. I'm not really playing the game. <laughs> no, way. yeah. The, the scenario, no, I'm, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because, you know, uh, okay, let's, uh, and I'll provide some education. Let's just start with the base list. Let's move 30 minutes a day. Okay. Pretty, I mean, 
we we a lot of us have smartwatches now, smartphones. We have yeah. apps that can show us this. We don't even need a personal trainer. It can apps yeah. free apps can show us how to do. You can these have an things. egg timer. Yeah, yeah. And so let's just minutes, walk thirty yeah. minutes a day. Let's start there. If if you're completely just inactive, right? Or let's let's run through wherever they're they're at or what they're comfortable with. Oh, you know. Yeah. Um, and then okay, let's eliminate sugar. Here's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I mean, sugar is just one of the most harmful substances in our diet mm-hmm. uh, on the planet, right? And even more addicting than cocaine that they're finding, right? Um, okay. And it's the you know connected to a lot of the number or the top you know killers basically. Yeah, it's heavily obesity, heart disease, all right? those things. Yeah. So, if we're gonna cut sugar out, which is a very challenging, I don't know if you ever tried that before. It's one of the most challenging things I've ever done. Yeah. Um, here's another um, thing about change that why I'm bringing this up: the incremental approach versus the the massive and radical approach to changing something so yeah like we talked about cigarettes if you're gonna just you smoked a pack a day forever you're gonna cut all of them out mm-hmm. on day one versus that's the massive radical approach yes versus let's cut one out a week or a day whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. or sugar let's you know baby step into it um a lot of systems out there will will preach incremental approach as being effective okay uh but in most cases, we'll find that the massive radical approach is actually far more effective. And there's a great study that you might be aware of, Dr. Dean Ornish. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a, there was an article published about this in, I think it was like Fast Inc. magazine or something. It, it's, it's gained popularity over the years, but he has a classic study about um, coronary, coronary bypass patients mm-hmm. who... Uh, I think the the statistics were uh, about seventy percent. Um, to get this right, seventy percent of people, eighty percent maybe, if they're told, "Hey, if you don't make a significant change in your lifestyle, whether it's exercise, diet, or stress management, if you don't make one significant change, you'll die in five years." Mm-hmm. 70% of people, actually, no, it's more than, I think it was nine out of 10. Um, I can pull the article up. Google this, Dr. Dean Ornish. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's nine out of 10. Did not make a change. Right. And, and this is studies done on coronary bypass pains over the years. Now, he did something different. He took his patients and he had them sign a contract, first of all. They're, they're going to get committed. Mm-hmm. And he also set them up with a support system. So a, a a nutritionist, you know, a, a coach. And he had them make a massive radical change, not, not baby step, not incremental mm-hmm. in all three areas. And he had an eightfold increase or success rate with his patients. Yeah. I, I like what you're saying. And, yeah. and the, I get the approach is, you know, Hey, it's, you have to do this, otherwise you'll die. And now, you know, as we talked about today, <laughs> yeah. you're now you're focusing on, well, I'll probably die soon. So you're, you know, you're going to have a worse outcome than if you do it in the more positive frame of mind and focus on that. 
stuff. But it also seems like it, those are totally different scenarios where one person gets, uh, you know, the make some change or you're going to die. And the other person gets set up with a ton of resources and a lot more extra time, including the having a contract printed out and they read it and stuff. So it, right, it doesn't right. seem like they're necessarily, uh, you know, equitable or like, able to be equated. Um, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a totally different, but that's the point of the what he did. And that's mm-hmm. why I'll use it a lot of times, even okay. for just like with my clients or even like marketing for why you need a coach. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very, it, it enhances your success rate when you have resource, when you surround yourself with a support system, when you actually make a commitment mm-hmm. by doing something like signing a contract. Yeah. Um, but also taking a massive radical approach to this. Okay. Um, I'm on board. So while people may not, you know, everyone may not have access to that by just their, you know, primary care physician, let's say that says just exercise more and eat better. Mm -hmm. Right. The point is, well, go find that. And, and like I said, there's apps, there's coaches out there. Um, but we were talking about diet. So back to the client, Mm -hmm. you're going to change your you're going to eliminate sugar on day one. Oh, I don't know. That seems so hard. I don't know. I don't know if I can do that again. We're back to, are you running? And I have a nightmare versus I love eating health. I love eating healthy foods. I love the way that it tastes. I love how I feel afterwards. I love the big breaths of air when I'm walking or running. I love exercise. I love feeling my body with strength and flexibility. Those are completely different sentences that will produce completely different emotions. Now, it, your sentences may be different, and you you have to find the right emotion, which a, you know a coach helps you with. But it can't be, this is so hard. I can't do this. I don't know where to start. I I'm just f it. I this is can't do this. Yeah, I have a nightmare. Back to the I have a nightmare speech. I'm. Again, back to the habitual sentences, the habitual language that we're that you're using that's, you know, either hindering, creating a challenge, or helping. Is that making sense? It does. It does. Um, and I like it because, you know, I'm looking at some of my questions here um, for the, you know, kind of towards the, the bottom of my document. And a lot of them are, you know, already answered by just the kind of basic tenets that we've been talking about today. You know, how does behavior change different across demographics, maybe age or gender or culture um, or having to do with medical problems versus no medical problems? How, you know, is, does uh, having uh, medical goals having to um, change the way you're going to approach behavior change. And my guess based on what you've been saying is the answer is not really. And you're going to individualize it to the problem, of course, but yeah, but you're going to use the same tools because those are the tools that seem to work. Absolutely. Right. And like I said, I, 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 yes, it's not, not really, it doesn't really differ based on demographics, but again, yeah, every, everyone's different. 
when you think about age, I mentioned earlier, you know, there's a different set of equations that run risk management, asset protection, whether it's, you know, you're in a, a place that just, you know, economically, you, you just can't, you don't have as much access to resources as certain people. Mm-hmm. But it's, and here's another hint or, you know, rule that I want all listeners to live by. It's not resources that determine success. It's resourcefulness. Okay. We know this because lottery winners, mm-hmm. 90% end up going bankrupt. Right? Yeah. And end up unhappy. Yeah. And, and even studies done on quadriplegics. Yeah. If you were happy before, you were hap- you're happy after. If you're unhappy before, you're unhappy. Yeah. So it's not the data of life. It's not the resources. It's being resourceful. So find, I mean, with the internet these days, you can go on YouTube. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you can find access to free resources. There's very affordable resources out there. I, I'm available and we'll, we'll give my information later, but be resourceful to find the outcomes that you want. I mean, it's, it's out there. You just have to want it. You just have to find it. And so, yeah, it, it doesn't really differ. Um, now, medical issues and now we're getting in a place where yeah change can be like i get that there's very real medical physical things that can be challenging Mm -hmm. to create an outcome for instance if you're you know uh in a in a wheelchair it's not as easy to you know move around as someone who's not i mean I, i i get that um and there's still ways to be active you know there's still ways to we're talking about health again. Um, it, yeah, there's not much difference. The same psychology rules all apply. Yeah, uh, no, that's true. And I get what you're saying about resourcefulness and it's a good thought. Um, and yet there still definitely is a pretty severe difference in outcomes, uh, across socioeconomic, you know, strata. Sure. Um, and so that's, that's a real thing. Um, and is it necessarily because uh, people at the lower end of the socioeconomic sp- spectrum are less resourceful? I don't think so. No. Uh, pretty resourceful. And, uh, and that's one of the tenets, again, that, you know, I live by is that I look at everyone as a human. So I, you know, I'm not, yeah, I take into consideration demographic aspects, but we're all human we're all the same mm-hmm. here like we're all given pretty much the same as i mentioned hardware earlier this brain mm-hmm. up here very powerful machine yeah that, you know we only use 10 percent or less of um you know and we all have our different unique software and so it's that's my approach is i'm really understanding you as a human and your unique journey and delivering the best you know, tools possible to help. So, yeah, very cool. So what, what, um, what would be your dream? Give me your, I have a dream for, for, uh, medical providers in the future mm-hmm. or, and you know, right now, yeah. but, uh, you know, in this perfect world in the future, in ways that they can help patients by, by using uh, behavior change. How do you, how do you see the, this being implemented by doctors in, you know, the current medical system we have now? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, taking at least more responsibility or more care, I guess, um, for the patient's outcomes. You know, I know that's challenging because, hey, doctors have, you know, a lot of patients to deal with and, you know, their time might be constricted and they don't have the, maybe the necessary training, but, you know, seek it out, really understand clients on a different level, whether it's, you know, through me or direct them to a life coach or a therapist that can add in some additional support for them. Um, but I think, you know, if there's suggestions that are being made to improve a client's health and they're struggling, a lot of times it's really going to lie in the psychology. At least that's my belief that, you know, when we really understand someone's unique, what I call mental software, what really drives them, you know, how can we give them even more tools to benefit their health, really coming from a psychological perspective as well, other than just, you know, a physical, I, I think that you pair the two together, you can really create some some awesome outcomes for, for patients. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I really do, uh, for the most part, uh, agree with your purely psychological approach. Um <laughs> You know, you, people are just capable of so much more than they ever dreamed that they could be. Even even in their wildest, I have a dreams. You know, mm-hmm. um, so that that's definitely true. Um, and yet, there's there's still so many challenges in the world, and not everybody is really ready, or willing, or believing in themselves that they can make changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I guess it, it'll continue to be a challenge. And that's that's uh, the fun part is taking on those challenges. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I'm here. You know, I think it's something that is, it's a growing field. It's something that people, everyone needs. I mean, when you think of the term coach, even the most elite athletes need coaches and, you know, everyone can use someone just to even just talk to, you know, and someone to help them out. So that's why I love doing what I do. Uh, it's rewarding and I believe, uh, you know, people, everyone needs it. So, um, I'm, I'm interested to, you know, continue this with you to hear experiences. Cause I said, like, I, I'm not even fully aware how a lot of doctors, you know, uh, deal with these types of things when they're trying to help someone, but maybe feel like limited or, you know, not able to, or don't know what, what to do uh, to help someone. So, yeah, no, I think everything you just said right there was exactly right on. It's that everybody wants to do as much for their patients as they can. Like, I, you know, I think that something that's been really encouraging as I've been uh, going through my training has been just seeing all the people, especially in the, my chosen field of family medicine, but really all fields uh, in all providers, or, or most, I should say, um, are they want to help so much and want to do a lot for their patients. And if in a perfect world, they would do a lot more if they weren't constrained by time, if they did have all the tools in their uh-huh. tool belt, they would use them. Yeah. Um, and they would use un, you know, unlimited time if they had it. Yeah. Um, but I think all those things that you just said, they don't know what to do. No one yeah. trained them sure. on, on, NLP. No, no one trained. uh, Well, a lot of your education is, (laughs) I mean, you've got a lot to cram in, in your seven, eight, 
however many years you're there to right. get and ready to help someone from a, a medical perspective, right? Totally. And, you know, the interdisciplinary approach is, is huge. That's why there are experts in therapy. Yeah. That's why there are experts sure. in the kidneys. Yeah. That's why there are experts in all, all, all sorts of different fields, even within just the human body. Right. So, um, well, this has been a, a little slice of heaven talking to you and uh, getting to hear a lot about your world and the world of behavior change. I hope uh, yeah. I hope it's uh, um, you know, something that's kind of actionable. That yeah, I, I think a lot of these interviews have been great to hear about people's lives and what is possible to do in medicine and different ways people practice medicine. Um, and I really appreciate when we come come away with uh, some things to actually try out and use. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely start be thinking about just the whole world in this way of and and my own life for sure, um, but also my patients' lives yeah. about the language that you use, the mm -hmm. the ways in which you're programming everybody around you uh -huh. at all times, and of course yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I appreciate, lo love the conversation. We've only just scratched the surface. Like I said, I'm looking forward to more conversations to even look at some more practical examples. And yeah, I hope all the listeners walk away with at least a couple tools that they can use. And um, yeah, if, if you have any questions, you can contact me at uh, brian at com. So that's our website, theinevitableu.com. I think Ross will probably put a link or some information in the podcast description. And then uh, we're on all the uh, social media platforms. But uh, it would love to hear from you if you even just want to chat and have any questions. Cool. And that's Brian with a Y. Brian with a Y, yes. At theinevitableu.com. Yep. That was a treat for me because Brian's a good friend and I like chatting with him and we sipped some peppermint tea as we chatted in studio uh, about all the things that you just heard on, on the podcast. So a little peek behind the curtain though, because we talked so much about kind of uh, towards programming rather than away programming instead of saying, don't spill the milk, say, be careful with the milk or try to get the milk in the cup that sort of thing, uh, as you heard earlier in the show. Well, it was so funny because we actually went out to dinner afterwards and we were looking for a parking space. And just as I said, oh, you're not going to find a parking space on this street, then immediately one opened up for us and it was just like a, a little beacon of light. So it was exactly opposite of everything we talked about and we just cracked up and uh, we started <laughs> reminiscing about all the ways in, in which, you know, this stuff is uh, not so cut and dry. It's not science uh, in the traditional sense. It is uh, so much of an art and how to work with people is uh, really the name of the game rather than just employing the techniques and watching them work. But please reach out at uh, the primary care podcast at gmail.com and I will see you in the new year. Happy holidays. Her uterus was the universe, 
and it bloomed and birthed the moon and the earth. Nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves. It was a fight for survival. Many died though, friends were formed to fight mutual rivals. Man and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love bringing joy into their lives. Boom, they were civilized, went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne. Built empires and the story's well known. History ticks along like a metronome. And then I came to be, learned to walk, talk, and throw stuff. All grown up, I got a job now and showing up. I'm sleep deprived, I'm misaligned. My appetite is primed to feed the ego almost all the time. And then I met you, lovely and smooth. You quickly removed my modern man's blues. I wanna celebrate every breath that I take. Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming and I don't wanna wait. So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul. And forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The uterus was my universe. But I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned Create a garden, plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain as I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder am I the hunted or the hunter When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said hey baby instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin Stop, begin, let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch, don't sprint Take it slow, protect your soul Travel long and far, but make sure to come home Cause the love that's here is what keeps you going And gives you the power and the freedom to grow Let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress This life is crazy, but it's the goddamn best When life gets complex, don't think, just do it first It was simpler when the uterus was so big Let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul Conversation and information exchange is contained in this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be confused with medical treatment, advice, or direction. Nothing on the podcast should supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although guests on the show are board certified and licensed physicians, they are not functioning as physicians in this environment. And no doctor patient relationship is formed. So let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold. Grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know.